0: Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. Beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry, Matthew records that Jesus is a preacher. Matthew chapter four, verse 17 says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Translated another way, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. To preach is to proclaim aloud. But preaching is more than making a message known publicly, for preaching often calls hearers to obey the message that is proclaimed. There's a response that's required. In this way, the act of preaching and the message that is preached and the preacher of that message all work in unison to communicate one important message that is worth hearing and responding to. When Jesus began to preach, he was announcing that the kingdom of heaven is near. Kingdom is an important subject for Matthew's Jewish audience who were looking for the promised forever king. Still fresh on our minds is the Christmas story of the wise men and here's how Matthew introduces them in Matthew chapter two verses one through three. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Later in Matthew's gospel, Pilate, the governor, inquires this of Jesus. As he stood before him, Pilate said, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. And while nailed to the cross, Matthew records that over Jesus' head they put this charge against him which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Kingdom represents power and authority. A kingdom represents the rule of a king for all within the boundaries of that kingdom. Jesus preached that the kingdom of heaven is near, which means that there is a king and an authority and a kingdom that does not belong to the kings and authorities and kingdoms of earth. There is a king, there is an authority, there is a kingdom whose kingdom is of heaven. Heaven's king is the king of kings. Heaven's kingdom is where God rules and where God reigns. It is the place where God is worshiped before the throne day and night by those who fall on their faces and say things like amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Jesus begins to preach. His message is that the kingdom of heaven is near. It is near in timing, it is at hand, and it is near in presence because Jesus is the king of heaven's kingdom, and Jesus is God who is near. Jesus fulfills the words of Isaiah who said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this is the context of the Sermon on the Mount, meaning these are the boundaries which contain our understanding of Jesus' message. It is a message of the kingdom of heaven. And it is a message for those who repent. That word repent represents the clashing of two opposing kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of earth. And It represents two opposing directions in which you cannot travel both at the same time. It is either one or the other. To repent means to have a change of mind. To have been going one direction and then make a 180 degree turn and look and travel in the other direction. The message of the Sermon on the Mount is not for double-minded men and women. It's not for double agents. It's not for any who would serve two masters. The message of the Sermon on the Mount is not for Lot's wife who turned back to look longingly at the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah as they were being destroyed. The message of the Sermon on the Mount is not for any whose God is their belly, who glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. The message of the Sermon on the Mount is not for dual citizens of heaven and earth. It is for those who live on earth but whose citizenship is in heaven and who are waiting for Jesus. The message of the Sermon on the Mount is for those who repent, who turn their eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face so that the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. We cannot receive the Sermon on the Mount without receiving the preacher of that sermon, Jesus. We cannot understand the Sermon on the Mount without the preacher of that sermon, Jesus. And we cannot obey the Sermon on the Mount without the preacher of that sermon, Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the King of the kingdom of heaven. And this sermon is for all who have repented in preparation for his kingdom and his rule and his righteous reign. As long as a person desires another kingdom, a lesser kingdom, such a person cannot receive the Sermon on the Mount because the Sermon on the Mount is about what is higher, a better way, God's way, in which the righteousness for living is given by God himself in the form of a new life in Jesus. First John chapter 2 verse 17 says, "And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever." We know that the kingdoms of this world can shake. But Hebrews chapter 12 says, "Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken." And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. If you do not yet know Jesus, Jesus knows you. And he is speaking in this sermon where you can hear him. But if you do not bow before Jesus as king, then you will only hear this sermon as part of the crowd. And in the end, you will only be amazed, but not changed. What do we sing about these ancient words? What are they? They're true. What are they doing? They're changing me and changing you. For all who confess Jesus as Lord, for all who believe that God raised him from the dead, we may hear this sermon as his disciples who are near and who are empowered by him to hear and obey. Jesus is a preacher, but today we also see that Jesus is a teacher. To preach is to proclaim and call for a response of obedience. To teach is to instruct. By preaching, we know what to do. We repent and we turn from our old life and our wicked ways But it is by teaching we know how to do that. We receive instruction on how to live as a new creation. Through preaching, someone may come to faith in Christ. Through teaching, someone then grows in Christ from an infant to a child to a mature adult. Jesus is both a preacher and a teacher, and Jesus does both. He preaches and teaches, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches, and he teaches about this kingdom of heaven. Today's text introduces the Sermon on the Mount and contains the title of this message, He Began to Teach. Look with me at Matthew chapter five, verses one through two again. Seeing the crowds, He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. He opened his mouth and began to teach them. Let us give close attention to the movements in these two verses. First, in verse one, the text says, He went up. Who went up? Jesus went up. The first action described belongs to Jesus. As often as the scriptures reveal this, we should take note of this. God is the one who acts first, always, and in all things. God is the creator. We are the created. Our existence is a reaction and response to what God has done first. And so it is that I was cautioned as I began this preaching series and began to study the Sermon on the Mount. This was what I was told. Don't go into this sermon with all of your sermon titles already planned, already thinking you understand exactly what's going to be said because you might be surprised When we come to God's word, we we should come to God's word with our hands like this. In fact, even as I go to read my Bible, sometimes I'm all alone, I'll go to my Bible just like this because it's a sign of receiving. I'm not coming to God's word wanting it to say what I want it to say, and I'm not coming to this sermon wanting it to say what I want it to say. But I and I pray that you are coming at it with open hands, ready to receive teachings from on high, we're going to believe whatever it is, wherever it is they lead us. And so it is that the scriptures reveal Jesus as the first person acting to give instruction from on high and to teach God's way. And Jesus ascends to a higher place. What does he go up? The text says he goes up a mountain. Mountains are important in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus was tempted by the devil on a mountain. He will teach from a mountain. He prays on a mountain. He heals on a mountain. He was transfigured before his disciples on a mountain. Why mountains? The scriptures don't tell us exactly why. It's possible they have some historical significance. Uh, Important events took place on mountains in the Old Testament, notably when God gave the law, his instructions, the 10 commandments to Moses, he did it on a mountain. But whatever the reason, one thing is certain, mountains cause us to look up, to draw our gaze toward heaven as an act of remembering that there are things higher than us. God is higher than us. Heaven is higher than us. Several uh, years ago, we had to cut some trees down in our yard or have them cut down, it was quite costly. The man who would cut them down talked with me for a while and he told me that people tend to underestimate trees and how damaging they can be. He said people like to go for walks in the woods but one thing they rarely do and really should when they walk in the woods is to look up Trees and branches can and do fall and can be very deadly. And so it is as we walk in God's creation, we keep our heads down and we look at created things. And ever so often, God gives us reasons to look up and be reminded that there is a creator that created all that we see. Sundays for us are look up days. Throughout the week, we look down at our phones and at newspapers and at events that are earthly and tragic and depressing, but on Sundays, we enter into this building with tall ceilings that force us to look up. It brings an awareness to us that what is happening inside these walls does not belong to what is happening in this world outside of them, It's something higher something that belongs to heaven. Isaiah 8 and nine, the Lord says, "'My thoughts are not your thoughts, "'neither are your ways my ways,' declares the Lord. "'For as the heavens are higher than the earth, "'so are my ways higher than your ways, "'and my thoughts than your thoughts.'" So whenever the text is set on a mountain, let us keep in mind that this is a moment when God would have us to look beyond what we can see, what has been created, and to look up to something that is not seen, the creator, what is eternal. And this is true of the Sermon on the Mount. Why did Jesus go up the mountain? Well, verse one again says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. Jesus went up on the mountain when he saw the crowds. There are two groups of people mentioned in the hearing of this sermon, the hearing of this teaching of Jesus on the mountain. The first group is the crowds. The second group, the disciples. Now, who are the crowds? We can back up a few verses and find the answer. The crowds were the result of Jesus' teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, and healing. Look with me at Matthew 4, 23 through 25, immediately preceding the Sermon on the Mount. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. The crowds are those who have been touched by Jesus in some way through his word or his healing touch or perhaps were just drawn by his fame. It might be said this way, the crowds followed Jesus, but they were not followers of Jesus. Think of a crowd like a wave pool. Crowds are wave riders moved along by whatever wave moves them next. They don't move on their own with core resolve for what they are doing. Did you know you can follow Jesus without being a follower of Jesus. Let me say that again. You can follow Jesus without being a follower of Jesus. Think of it in terms of church gatherings with what we're familiar with. Think about Sunday mornings. That's the crowds. That's the largest attendance of people, believers in Jesus and unbelievers, members and guests, seasoned saints and seekers. Then you have Wednesday evenings. That's the committed. They gave the church not one service a week, but two. But then remember back to Sunday evenings. That's the core the smallest attendance, in my experience. Those who come on Sunday evenings, they not only give one service, nor two services, but three services every week. In contrast to the crowds, this text presents his disciples. From crowds to core, these are not the ones that will follow Jesus beyond the Jordan or just to wherever he goes to next. But these disciples, with the exception of one, will follow Jesus beyond the cross. Matthew 5, verse 1 says, Seeing the crowds, he went up the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. His disciples are the ones who Jesus called to follow him who left their fishing nets and businesses and earthly kingdoms and immediately followed him at his word and at his call. They're not following him because of what they have seen, they are following him because of his call and because they left all else behind. Matthew five, verse one again. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountains and when he sat down, his disciples Came to him When he sat down, sitting down was a position of teaching. It communicates authority in what is being taught. And when he sat down, his followers came to him. They knew that he was about to teach them something that he had authority to give to them. So Jesus went up and the disciples came to him. These are the two movements in verse one that create the setting for the Sermon on the Mount. But before we move on, we have an important question to ask. Who is the Sermon on the Mount for? The crowds or the disciples? Who is Jesus giving this message to? And this will be very important for us as we proceed on. This is not like the letters of scripture, the epistles that have a very clear introduction and greeting for a specific intended audience. Who is this sermon for? And the text does not tell us who it's for. And so the answer is best understood in terms of approach, in terms of who is nearest. When someone speaks, and they don't have a microphone. Who hears the best? those who are close. And perhaps this is why God does not tell us who this sermon is for, because it is for whoever is close enough to hear. Because the message of the Sermon on the Mount cannot be received without the preacher of the sermon. The teachings of Jesus cannot be received, much less obeyed, without Jesus. We cannot separate the message from the messenger. And so the message is for whoever is close, whoever is near. And the gospel proclamation of Matthew 5, 1 through 2 is that Jesus is approachable. Matthew shares this repeatedly in his gospel account. Look at all of the people who approach Jesus. The tempter approaches Jesus in chapter 4, verse 3. Angels approach Jesus in chapter 4, verse 11. Disciples approach Jesus in chapter five, verse one. A leper approaches Jesus in chapter eight, verse two. A centurion approaches Jesus in chapter eight, verse five. A scribe approaches Jesus in chapter eight, verse 19. A woman who is suffering approaches Jesus in chapter nine, verse 20. Repeatedly, Jesus is approachable. And this means God's kingdom is near To all who come near to Jesus, you can approach Jesus. And that's why he took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, so that he can be approached, and God's word may be heard without fear, and that God's kingdom might be entered through him, so that we might experience what it means to live under the sovereignty of an all-powerful God to live the new life God's way. The gospel invitation of the Sermon on the Mount begins with come and hear. Come and hear these teachings from on high. Matthew will tell us that the crowds are near enough to hear and be amazed, but the disciples are near enough to hear and be changed. It's not about proximity, it's about identity. It's not whether you come to church and hear about Jesus, it's whether you come to church as one who has been changed by Jesus, whether you are coming to hear from Jesus and to be with him and his people. Which is it for you? How will you hear this Sermon on the Mount? I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you came. For Jesus is here. He is here with you and with us wherever we hear his word proclaimed. He is here with you in your homes as you're watching online or listening later. You have come. Now come with ears to hear what only God can give you through a new life in Jesus Christ. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then our text says, seeing the crowds, he went up the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. This is the third and last movement in this text today, and it's the moment of our invitation to be drawn to who he is, to who Jesus is, before we hear any of his teachings. Because his teaching will speak of impossible things, offensive things, blessings, and things yet to come, things that do not belong to an old way of life and an old kingdom and an old earth. His teaching is teaching about a kingdom that will only be understood if we are part of it, if we are brought within the boundaries of that sovereign reign where God is king. Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount precedes his actions that will take place later, that will ensure you and I may enter into God's kingdom. For Jesus will later offer himself as a sacrifice in our place to atone for our sins with the shedding of his own blood, and he will be buried in a tomb. Jesus will reign forever, as a king, but he does not reign eternally in death. God raised Jesus from the dead, and being raised, Jesus reigns. Do you want to learn more about his kingdom? Then let me introduce you to its king. And then come to Jesus, and come and hear what he began. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish His purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of His Word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.